This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Chicago White Sox getting swept for the first time this season, three games to nothing. The Red Sox now have sole possession of last place and even 10 games back from the division-leading New York Yankees. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at Cushman MLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. It's been uh it's been a wild, wild weekend. It's gonna be very difficult to continue making excuses. It's a theme. It is absolutely a theme. This, uh, for the listening audience, let's see, it's Monday, May 9th, and the Red Sox have still only won a single series in 2022. It's just so bad. I mean, worse than I could have imagined. It's terrible. Also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Joe Goddard. How are you, Joe? I'd be doing a lot better if uh, the season wasn't over. (laughs) But uh, that's a little little glimpse into how my brain works. Today, May 9th, I'm declaring the season dead. Plenty of things to talk about on this show. And... um, at least there's some playoff hope in Boston. I know, Charlie, I gave you this take pregame and or pre-show, I should say. And you were like, well, is that really going to be your take? Yeah, the season's over before the season of the Celtics or the Bruins. God damn, does that suck? Like, I'm sorry to swear for the listening audience, I really don't do it that often. I try to be kid-friendly, but it's May 9th and the season's over. So if you want to tell me that I'm wrong, chirp me or otherwise see what I think about the Boston Red Sox, you can find me at J-O-B-M-L-B on Twitter. And uh, I'm not going to make any jokes this time around because this team is so bad it ruins my mood. 
And Charlie, where can they find you? Yeah, for me, it's uh, Smith underscore MLB. All right. And to Job's point, it seemed like today was doomsday for a lot of fans. Like even some of the not so hardcore homers, they're like, okay, you know, we surrender this this season's just not what we had hoped for, and it's probably over. Like, there was so much of that going on today across social media. It was brutal. I'll get into a little bit more when it's my turn to give my take here. Yeah, absolutely. But damn, it felt like a punch in the gut. Uh, man, just all season has just been so bad. It's it's been bad for a while. The Red Sox, I think, are I think they're what three and twelve, four and four and twelve, four and thirteen. Their last sixteen, seventeen games, it's been awful. Like this last stretch of games took them out of literally everything. But for my absolute, I'm so tired of of this over and over again. Trevor Story, dude, what is going on? Just. What in the world, what do we need to do to wake him up? I mean, another almost golden sombrero weekend. This weekend was was not pretty for him. Cannot seem to get anything going. The fans are not behind him. Everything is going wrong. One for 12 in this series with six strikeouts. I mean, come on. The, the month of May alone... He's three for 22 with 11 strikeouts. He struck out twice or more in four of those six games. He has five RBIs and a pair of doubles that he only had in that Angels game. I'm running out of patience. I wanted to give him mid-May, end of May. But when is that honeymoon excuse for a beginning of the season going to end? And when are we going to start seeing some return on the investment that we just made? Because right now this is blowing up in our face and it's awful. Like he's getting booed by his own fans in his stadium. You can't strike out four times in a game and expect uh, everyone to be absolutely cool with it. I'm, I'm disgusted. So before today, Trevor story had 11 strikeouts and 22 at bats. After today, we are now up to 14 strikeouts in 26 at-bats. You're now striking out more than 50% of your share of at-bats. What was that window again? For the month of May. Oh, for the month of May. Got it. 14 strikeouts, 26 at-bats. He had no hits, so he's now 3 for 26, which is a ginger 115 batting average with five runs knocked in. Four walks, that's it. I'm sorry. That's inexcusable. It's unacceptable. It's the first week of May. You cannot be that person that is not available to the media. You can't. Accountability is key. And if you're not holding yourself accountable, you're not saying, you know what, I flat out suck right now, we're going to be pretty upset. And there's a justified reason for why fans are booing you in your own stadium. You struck out three times in this game. That now gives you five games in the month of May. Out of seven, you struck out twice or more. 
two sombreros, one of the golden variety. You're just sucking right now. You need to wake up. You need to to make adjustments or something because this is Carl Crawford-esque right now. This is ugly. This is sinful. This is bad. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired. Go ahead, Joe. Well, Carl Crawford-esque kind of stole my thunder. I wasn't going to go quite that far. But my God, is it brutal. The way that Trevor Story can come up with one out, men on third, men on second. Bottom nine. After your bullpen blew the save, granted, but they kept you in the ball game. They gave you a chance to win it. Jackie Bradley Jr. is outperforming you. That is the Mendoza line. Like, wherever Jackie Bradley is hitting, if you're below him, you don't belong on a big league field. That's how I look at it. And to not bring a runner home there, slam your bat in frustration, absolutely pitiful. Pitiful. And I was willing to give him time. I'm still willing to give him time. I think he'll be fine. I think the position change is weighing on him a lot more than we thought. He moved from short to second. We saw him make a play in game two of this series where he ranged into right field, got the ball, went to turn and throw, and left the ball behind and visibly frustrated. His defense is carrying over into his offense at the plate. His approach at the plate has been sloppy. He's swinging at everything close. Granted, the umps have been screwing him left and right with the high strike zone. He has not been getting lucky as far as the close calls. Well, you have to adjust. If it happens two or three times in the same game, like Charlie mentioned, you got to realize that's what's happening. You, and then you got to swing at that pitch. You got to fight it off. You got to get another one. It's not acceptable. I give him a pass for not speaking to the media after a four strikeout game in Colorado. No one cares whether you strike out four times, five times, eight times. It's Colorado. And uh, he did apologize for that, said he would be more accountable to the media the next time around. So I give him a pass on that one. You get one strike. You don't get two in Boston. I'm sorry. This is not Colorado. You don't get four strikes. You get one. And uh, if he is not accountable for his performance over the next two, three weeks when he goes on to strike out three, four times a game, cost us games the way he did in game two of this series, then – I will 100% agree with you, Charlie. It is Carl Crawford-esque. I really, I'm still not overly concerned, but I'm perhaps a little bit more concerned than I was a week ago. Well, he's gotten worse, Terry. He's gotten worse. Well, yeah, he's, um, Charlie and I were going over it. I mean, he's got, what, Six strikeouts this series and five in the other. Uh, so he's he's been especially bad uh, over the last week. But Carl Crawford wasn't used to playing in front of fans in Tampa. Colorado, I don't know what it is, but especially on the weekends, that stadium, there's fans in the seats, regardless of how bad they are. And he's played in front of those uh, fans. I wouldn't be shocked if the home run numbers, even over the course of the next few years, are low. Lower, I should say. I don't think they'll be that far down. But 
compared to playing in Colorado, it's to be expected. You're not gonna you're not gonna mash as many. Nolan Arenado still a, a thirty one hundred guy for the most part. Hits right around three hundred. But with Story, I just up until this series, he doesn't look lost at the plate. He didn't know what to do with Dallas Keuchel today. And Keuchel's got finicky stuff. He's going to keep you off balance. His He's basically an off-speed guy now. He's not blowing anyone away with fastballs. He's and Rich Hill. Basically, yeah. That, that's a fair enough comparison. And, and he's a lefty like Hill as well. So, so I just... I, I'm I'm not too worried about it. I, I think he's going to come around, and this year might be a bit of a an anomaly compared to the rest of his career because you know he he got off to a weird start with no spring training whatsoever. I think he had seven at bats, and new team, new atmosphere, new vibe, and um. So we'll see, but it, it hasn't been fun to watch and. If this team's going to come around, he's got to be a better presence at the top of the order, Joe. So I want to be brief here. I don't want to go down the Trevor, Tor- Trevor Story sucks train because <laughs> I could go down that rabbit hole immediately. I think he's a good ball player. He's going to be fine. One, I was concerned with his approach at the plate with uh, two men in running, two men in scoring position, runners on, one down, bottom nine. First pitch swinging, pop it up to the right side of the infield. You got to put a swing on the ball that at least gets it to the outfield. Like that is at least something the Red Sox have been good at doing this year. We lead the league in sacrifices. The other piece is I don't think it's any surprise that Alex Cora went out and got tossed in this series defending Trevor Story. Immediately after he doesn't talk to the media following a four game strike, a four strikeout game performance. I feel like that was on purpose. Cora is trying to have his back because Trevor Story is upset about being in Boston. He's upset at his poor performance. That's why he fired his agent one month into a six-year contract. He's upset with the fans not giving him time to get ready. And he's playing like it. He's pressing. He's not playing well. He's upset to be playing second base. And one thing bleeds into another. I am fed up with Trevor Story. Real quick, though, on that ejection, Story had this kind of check swing, and that was not a swing at all. And uh, so Not at all. He was I, getting screwed. I have tons of complaints about Alex Cora generally, but I don't blame him for getting tossed there, uh, you know, in that moment. I have no issue with Cora getting tossed. In fact, I encourage it. Try to do anything to give your ball club a jolt when they're performing on offense like it's spring training. But also, at a certain point, Story has to adjust to the calls that are being made. If you can't read the breaking ball, don't swing at the breaking ball. These check swings are getting called against him. I understand they're not good calls. But I don't think it's any coincidence that Cora went out there to defend Trevor Story rather than somebody else. Because Story's not the only one getting screwed by the umpires. Atlanta coming up probably isn't going to be a very good get right series for a lot of these guys. So, I mean, I, I think I just like to see where story is kind of at the month at the end of the month and kind of 
assess where to go from there. But I think, you know, by the time summer rolls around and perhaps we're hopefully no worse than where we are, uh, you know, under 500, hopefully the Carl Crawford comps are, you know, just non-existent at that point. But but it, it hasn't worked out that great and i i can't think of a I, perhaps kike didn't he, he had a rough couple of months last year as well uh not that he's making nearly what story is he's only making about a third of what uh trevor story is but it's obviously not a good start so i feel like i've been hammering on my guy so my guy on the shit list this week again Matt Barnes, every time he comes into a game late and he's pitched a lot of ninth and 10th innings, and I think a lot of 10th innings, it's so predictable. It's so predictable that runs are going to score. The game's going to get messed up. Here's a stat on Matt Barnes. I hate to do this, but I I can't not give him credit. I I hate this guy. I hate this guy so much. He hates me. But uh, uh, on Twitter, Boston Strong, he he has this conspiracy theory that I'm a I'm really a Yankees fan posing as a Red Sox podcaster. It's just so insane. He hasn't chirped me in probably over a year, but but he has a good line here from Matt Barnes. Uh, and this was as of May 4th, so this doesn't include the Saturday night meltdown uh, he had in the 10th, but close enough. Since his extension in July of 2021, 26 innings pitched, 27 hits, 20 earned runs, 17 walks, and uh, 29 strikeouts. So lots of hits, lots of walks, lots of runs. That translates to a 6.92 ERA since the contract has been signed. And yet he still gets all of this high leverage opportunities over so many other guys. Like pitch him in the sixth. Pitch him in the sixth on a really short leash after Rich Hill comes out or uh, you know, a, a pitcher that's not getting piggybacked by a Whitlock or a, a Tanner Houck. I'm just so tired of seeing Matt Barnes in these high leverage spots. And it's basically Heim Bloom trying to salvage that extension to make it not look worse. Like he's he's just wishing that Matt Barnes will find it and make that extension look not nearly as bad as it is but it's getting worse. And as I tweeted on the bastards account, it's not fair for Red Sox fans to watch three games a week, get blown by Matt Barnes. And here we are nine games under 500, 10 games out of the division. How much more do we have to sabotage our own season with Matt freaking Barnes? I'm just tired of it, Charlie. Yeah, so like you're you're talking about some of the numbers and then some some of the other ones that might alarm you was his ERA last year was 
whole season. And it was a lot worse after he signed the contract. But we're just going to call an even 3.8. Three 3.79. We're going to round up to 3.8. His ERA this year is more than twice as bad. It's 7.84 right now, and he's already lost three. He has one save on the season, and he's allowed half the amount of runs this year in 10 innings than he did all of last year in five and a half times the innings. If that doesn't scream warning flag, warning signs, I don't know what will. This is not a closer. This is not someone who belongs in Major League Baseball right now. And I believe Aaron said this on uh, Aaron Andrew said this on the other show. Uh, Andrew doesn't think that he's got a, a, a shelf life in Boston for too much longer, and I'm inclined to agree, because if if Matt Barnes can't figure it out real soon, like you mentioned, we shouldn't have to subject ourselves to watching Matt Barnes pitch just because we gave him that contract. There are players that have been given contracts that just do not get it. They just do not. They can't hack it. Carl Crawford signed a seven-year, $142 million deal. Trevor Story was six for 140. Crawford has gone after year two. He got packaged along with, it was what, Josh Beckett, Carl Adrian Crawford, Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez, Nick Punto. And we got back James Loney uh, and two other bums. Like two other guys who never really amount, amounted to anything. Ruby De La that Rosa was, and Alan Webster. Yeah, nothing, nothing. Two nobodies, right? So that was a, a dump. Of all that money, well, it was a salary. But Matt Barnes, right. it was a salary dump, exactly. And and this is something that never should have happened. And Joe, you mentioned this already. You should be giving contracts out to pitchers during the middle of the season. They may be pitching really well. Everybody knew that something was up with Matt Barnes. I mean, I was living the living the dream, seeing him strike out two or three in inning. He was on fire, cloud nine, and then came back to reality, and then kind of evened himself out. This year's been nothing less than a nightmare. He's not even striking out one in inning. I mean, we haven't seen that since 2015. It's been seven years since we've seen that. His K-9 has always been above nine. A couple years ago, it was 15 plus, 14 plus. Now we're at seven? So it literally dropped in half. Your ERA goes up twofold. Your K-9 goes down halffold. That's that's not, you're, you're not winning any fans over right now. Not with that. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, Charlie, you already mentioned that I talk frequently about not extending pitchers in a contract year. I'm anti-extending any relief pitcher ever. Relief pitchers never do well on the big contract. They just don't. Matt Barnes has been an embarrassment to the closer role. The fact that he's getting high leverage innings tells us nothing because Alex Cora, we know this, Trust his guys. He has his go-to guys. They're usually veterans. They get a lot longer of a leash. That's just the way that he plays the game of baseball. Barnes's velocity's been down. 95 to about 92, 93. His curveball's been terrible since they got rid of the sticky stuff. He's hanging it left and right. There's no command. And he doesn't have... A good third pitch. He never really has. He never developed that, and that's why he's limited in his role. The contract is a disgrace, and it's something that I'll talk about when I give my hot take, my shitless player, all of the above, because they're linked. But Matt Barnes is currently not a big league pitcher. Charlie, you said it. 
The only reason he's in the big leagues right now is because his name's Matt Barnes. There are guys on this team who have been fantastic in relief that I would trust with that job, even on minimal experience, far more than I trust Matt Barnes. The guy that I want in the closer role right now is already with the Red Sox. Could either of you guess who that is? Strom. No. Charlie, you're a guess. Who would, who would you put in the closer role right now? If I'm you? If you're me, who's going in the closer role right now? Probably Hendricks. No, no, on oh, the hey, Red Sox. Take me up, Hendricks. No, nothing wrong with that. Uh, oh, my God, no. Oh, oh, I thought, wait, were you talking about the Red Sox? I was okay. indeed, yeah. Oh. Charlie, if, if I'm the Sorry. Red Sox right now, who's taking the closer spot? Um... I meant to say Deekman, not Hendricks. Hendricks was a guy that I was tweeting. I'm just going over some of the tweets of somebody else. No, probably Deekman. Neither of those guys is the guy I'm going to. Okay, who are you going with? The most effective Red Sox reliever this year has been John Schreiber. Oh, uh, well. That's a, that's not a He hasn't given up a run yet, but. He's he's not given up a run. He's got less than one hit per inning. His whip is below below one. He's got a funky delivery. I don't care that he only throws 93. If you throw 93 and they can't pick it up, good for you. Every time he comes in the game, he gets out of a jam. Why can't you give guys who are performing high leverage innings? If you don't walk guys, you get the high leverage innings. It's it's simple math. Go ahead, Charlie. What are his numbers this year? He's only pitched like twice or three sure. times. So he's got four games. Okay. Four and a third innings pitched. Okay. Three strikeouts. Okay. An 068 whip. No runs allowed. It's just That's a really small sample size. It's so. it's a really small sample size sure. and it's it's not enough strikeouts for me in that in that role. No. Okay, but Hero sucks. Yeah. Like, Sorry can't get strikeouts. If you're not chasing the splitter, he walks you left and right. Deekman is hit or miss. Strom is facing too many batters. He's getting stretched out too much. Hauk is blowing chunks. Like, something mentally is wrong with Hauk ever since he got sat in the Toronto series. I wonder if he did get the shot. <laughs> this is what's going on. I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'd be curious <laughs> to know what he does when we go to Toronto the next time through. But something about being moved to the bullpen for that scenario has not sat right with him because he has been terrible. Robles is overused. We, we just don't have enough pieces. Charlie, go ahead. I think your closer has to be – it's either Deekman or, or Davis. I, either way, it's still going to be one of your left-handed relievers. I think both of them have only had one blip each um, that I can think of. I know that Deekman had a rough time against Toronto. Austin Davis has a pretty healthy ERA, so he, he got rocked at least once, but I, I, just, I can't remember when. Um, but he's been solid every single time I've seen him pitch. And I, 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 I couldn't in good conscience give it to, and Trevor might be good with a little bit more playing time. Sure. But I can't give that to somebody who's been in the, you know, only pitched for six minutes. Well, who the hell are you going to do? The rest of these guys have proven they don't deserve it. That's my thing. Matt so you're going to give it to a guy who's been in the league? Strom would be a better, so like, yeah. you, you, you can't go with someone who's only pitched three times or four times. You can't do that. Andrew- this isn't like an Aroldis Chapman guy. Sorry, Terry, go ahead. Andrew brought up Strom in the last show, and uh, I'm starting to agree with him because Robles wasn't uh, particularly sharp in in game two. Um, 
gave up an earned run, walked some, walked a hitter, uh, just hasn't, hasn't looked great. And in that same game too, Strom actually finished, uh, the inning off from Schreiber and, uh, got the out pitched one third of an inning. Red Sox might've won that game. Had they just sent uh, Strom back out for the ninth and just had him pitch one and one third. Now I'm not criticizing the move. I still like Robles. I'm, I'm less sold that he's the closer, but I think he's still a high leverage guy for now, regardless. But uh, Strom's been very consistent as well, and this could be a breakout year for him. I I would try him, but it's weird that the Red Sox would only have him pitch one third of an inning i mean we're just getting killed with our whatever obsession we have with the analytics are with some of these relievers it's just absolutely killing us well i'm, I'm glad you mentioned analytics terry because that's where i'm going to go for my shit list take all right and uh the analytics say that it's time to fire heimbloom <laughs> it's it, that that's it it's time for heimbloom to take a walk Terry, I'm going to use your tweet because it's easier to illustrate to the listeners, and they probably all saw it, to illustrate just how bad Bloom has been here. The past three Red Sox general managers have won a World Series title in their first three years on the job. That's Dombrowski, Sherrington, Epstein. They all did it in a different way. They all brought a title home. I would argue that Heim Bloom has made the Red Sox a worse team than they were when Dave Dombrowski left. I would also argue that he continues to kick the can down the road, and they are further from a World Series title today than they have been in any year since Dave Dombrowski left. I'm sorry. This is the Boston Red Sox. We are not. Not the Oakland Athletics, for whom 2,455 fans showed up this week. We are not the Tampa Bay Rays, whose stadium is an embarrassment, who should relocate and change the name to the Montreal something. This is a big market team. We have won more World Series in this millennium than any other team in baseball and Bloom treats it like getting to the playoffs is enough to buy him goodwill for another three or four years of developing the farm system. I don't know about you two gentlemen. I know Andrew probably has a different opinion on this than that. For me, the Salem Red Sox can win. The Portland Red Sox can win. The Worcester Red Sox can all win titles. If they go 85-0 and each for the next three seasons, I couldn't care less if the big league product that you're putting on the field at Fenway Park is not enjoyable, it's not entertaining for the fans, and it's not competitive. And Heim Bloom doesn't understand that. Now, I realize what I'm putting out there is a pipe dream. He is still selling tickets. John Henry doesn't care less. They're not going to fire Heim Bloom because he doesn't spend their money. That's what they want. But as a fan, watching this product, watching the season end on May 9th is an embarrassment to the sport. It's disgraceful. 
It is insulting to fans of the Boston Red Sox that they know you're just going to come back for more. You're still going to tune into Nesson. You're still going to comment on Twitter. You're still going to engage with their highlight reel posts of Jackie Bradley throwing a man out at home in a game that they lost, by the way. Because we can't stop. And I, I hate it. Shout out the Oakland A's fans. The Oakland A's fans took an absolute stand this year. Their attendance has been at record lows because they're tired of their ownership not spending money. They're tired of their team absolutely blowing chunks and trading away all the players that are good because they just want to sell home playoff dates. We are not that team. This is not the city for that. I am fed up with Bloom. I want him gone. I want a clean house. And I want to pay people who can play. Charlie. It's interesting because I, it's very rare that you see Joe get fired up like this. It's kind of unique and special. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. I remember being so negative about this team and I, and I was so angry two years ago and a year ago, this team wasn't going to play 500. Then last year, everyone talked their talk. And this year, you know, I thought we're going to win a little bit more than 80 games and we're 10 and 19. And I don't know if I can throw this towel in on May 8th. This season is a little over a month old. Throwing in the towel now, I don't know if I have the strength for it. Um, you know, you, you made a comment. It, it, yeah. And uh, what's crazy is the Bruins won game four. The Celtics somehow got screwed out of that awful call to Marcus Smart. And yet, the number one thing being talked about is the Red Sox, and we're not even in the playoffs. Like, the Bruins just came back down 0-2, tied it up. Celtics got to figure out a way to, to power through and uh, and get their work done. We can't even get it done, Job. And, and, and you're basically saying this season for the Red Sox is over It's during over. the playoffs for the NHL and the NBA. And that is embarrassing. That is wild. It's not and- like... It's not like we're in, you know, the NBA finals, which usually takes place in in July. It's the it's the first round of of the NHL playoffs. It's the beginning of May. And everyone on Red Sox Twitter, a lot of people listening to the show have already skipped ahead 5 minutes to see if Charlie agrees with me to listen to Terry tell me I'm wrong. So, those of you that's fine, to the rest of you who are actually listening to this take, either agree with me or disagree with me, understand this. This Red Sox team does not care about winning in 2022. I thought that might be the case in 2021. I think that was the approach that Bloom and co. took to building that roster. And yet the team would not lose. They had heart. They had grit. They won close games. This team is 0-6 in extra inning games. They are 6-14 and 14 in one-run games. 
someone pulled an Uno reverse card on last year's team. And the reason that I lay this at Heim Bloom, sure, the rotation has been fantastic. I complimented Heim Bloom all offseason after the signing of Michael Walker. I thought the signing of James Paxton was fantastic. I thought this team was going to be okay. Is because he didn't pay Xander Bogarts. He didn't pay Rafael Devers. He was okay not paying them. And you cannot tell me that this offensive hangover, the lack of offense, the lack of contact hitting, is not because there's a rift in the clubhouse. There are some upset players in the clubhouse that feel like their emotional leader is getting screwed in Xander Bogarts. And the future of this team in Rafael Devers is absolutely getting bent over the table. And the players have had enough of it. We've already heard it's May 9th. We've heard three or four players, some of whom are starters on this team, like Alex Verdugo, talk about how it's absolutely crucial that the Red Sox pay these guys and keep these guys around. You cannot tell me in good conscience that this is not on high and bloom, that these guys aren't performing. The clubhouse is all discombobulated, and it's because Heimblum wouldn't get out the checkbook and write a check to two of the best players in baseball because he doesn't care about winning baseball games in 2022. I'm not a Bloom guy. Every, every, yeah, Charlie's with a sarcastic what? Uh, right now, look on his face. The audience knows this. I'm not at the point yet where I'm going to be putting up Heim Bloom, Fire Heim Bloom hashtags. And you're seeing a lot of Fire Bloom hashtags this weekend. The only way I'll do it this season is if August 2nd comes around, because that's the trade deadline for some reason. If Rafi Devers gets traded, I'm on the I'm on the Fire Bloom train. I'm absolutely 1,000% on the Fire Bloom train. I don't know if he can do that. I don't that that might be too big of he's losing he's losing the fan base now, gradually, week by week. I that would be a tough thing for him to pull off and expect to get so many people back but we're one percent closer to trading devers in august with each passing game with each loss one percent higher one percent higher chance and i hope it doesn't happen we've talked about bogarts getting traded there's there's complications with that because of his 10-5 rights it's not impossible there are pathways to do it and there, there will be teams that are interested. So not impossible, but it'll be much uh, easier uh, to trade endeavors. And Bloom will get calls. People will take Bloom's temperature on what it will take to get a guy like Devers for the remaining year and a half of his deal. Now, what I'm curious to see here with Hein Bloom is what he does this winter when all this money comes off the books when the JD deal comes off the books, potentially the Xander Bogarts money comes off the books. 
David Price comes off the books. I know I'm missing at least one more in there as well, but Nathan Avaldi Nathan comes off the books. Nathan Avaldi comes off the books, absolutely. So you're freeing up close to a hundred million dollars. Now we're over the luxury tax right now by a couple million. So there's nothing to suggest that we won't necessarily be flirting with next year's luxury tax with all that freed up money. I want to see what he does with that. If February 1st comes around and pitchers and catchers are about to report and we're severely underwhelmed by the roster that's looking like it, that's going to report, I could very well be on the fire bloom wagon by that point. I don't want to. You are too late, uh, Terry. I've already started the wagon. (laughs) Leaving without you. It's, it's on its way right down the hill. Well, I haven't bought my ticket. I haven't bought my ticket. That's all I'm saying. But he he's getting less popular by the week, regardless of where you stand on him. He's getting harder to defend. Terry, I'm going to ask you this question. Every show we do for the next six weeks, if we get to the trade deadline and the season's over, what does Bloom have to do to stay in his job as far as you're concerned? What does he do? Does he trade people? I think the short-term assets will be traded. You know, guys like potentially J.D., potentially Kike Hernandez, any reliever in the Red Sox bullpen. You could see a Michael Waka, Rich Hill type guy get moved. They're all on just cheap expiring deals. I think you have to move those guys if you're out of it further than we are now. So, I mean, that has to happen. But I don't really see a scenario in which John Henry fires him uh, before the end of next season. I, I think that's the earliest you can expect uh, Bloom to be fired. And I still kind of think that's a long shot, but it's not unreasonable, I wouldn't say. Charlie, I'm curious about this from your perspective. Assuming that Bloom stands pat for now, we go to the trade deadline, we're 10 games out or further, what do you, A, expect him to do, B, what should he do, and C, is he still the Red Sox general manager at that point? It's been tough because before the season even started, I was saying that, you know, Bloom didn't do enough to prepare the team for success. Uh, There's still a lot of glaring holes because Chris Sale was recovering. Paxson is recovering. Nidavaldi's really our, our, our leader. Uh, we thought Pavetta was going to be a front runner. I didn't think Michael Walker was going to turn into anything. I was wrong. Now Walk is injured. So that sucks. Rich Hill. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. He did well. Uh, we still can't hit for him. We can't hit for any of our starters. As far as Heim Bloom is concerned, um, there's been the back and forth about has he really helped the team as far as the the farm system is concerned. I'd like to say yes, um, because some some of the pieces, some of the chips that you know he's brought over, uh, even the move that you know most recently brought Jackie Bradley Jr. over. We lost Hunter Renfro. We didn't do it to get Jackie Bradley back. We did to get those prospects, and one of them was highly touted. Do I think he's going to have a job next year? At the end of this year, I don't think he's getting fired. Uh, and honestly, I don't think he's getting fired at the end of next year either. That's the Do you thing. want him fired? 
assuming we're in the same spot we are now in August, from August 2nd, do you want him fired? Or is there somebody I... else you want fired? Or are you okay with this going into 2022? Or 2023, I'm sorry. I, uh, you're good. I don't know. And, and, and the reason for that being is my decision weighs on the most important decision that the Red Sox need to make. So resigning Lofty Devers. Because we all agree with that decision. We all think it's Devers. Yep. If he next week comes out with the news that he signed either Xander Bogarts or Xander Devers. I don't want Xander Bogarts. I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. If he comes out next week and announces that he signed one or the other to a massive extension and the team goes on a four, five, maybe six-game win streak or even just win back-to-back series, then I'm okay with it. Give him an extension. Let him play out this contract behind Bloom because that's all he needs to do, I think, to fix this team. Like, sure, we need more pieces, but I really lay the entire blame for this team sucking on the fact that Bloom won't play players who deserve it. I would fire him if the extension was given to Xander Bogarts because that is not the most important player to give the extension to. Uh, They offered to give him something already. He didn't want it. Uh, Whether or not that's an actual legitimate contract or not, I don't care. The most important player on that team to get re-signed is Rafael Devers. Anything less than that is an F, and I would want him gone because you clearly don't understand process and you don't you don't understand uh, major levels of talent. There's only one Rafael Devers in the league. Terry, I don't want Bogarts either, but. One of them has to be re-signed this winter, whether we we all want Devers, but if it's Bogarts, I mean, I can live with it. I I don't think it's a great move because he's not a second half of the year player, and I think he's going to decline in his 30s. But but here's the thing. Let me ask you this before I give the second half of the take. When should the all-in year be in terms of spending – maybe getting a, I, I don't know what the free agent class is next year for pitchers next winter. I don't think it's great, but um, perhaps in terms of trades or signings, when should the all in year be? Well, I thought it was supposed to be this year, Terry, if I'm all honest with you, I thought this year was going to be the all in year. All that money comes off the books next year. You've got young guys in Tristan Casas, Marcelo Mayer, we're going to come up in the next couple of years. We think Casas is going to be up maybe this year and are cheap, controllable. Whitlock is now on a controllable contract. I thought this was going to be it. You were going to take this team full of veterans. You were going to spend the money to get them to the playoffs, see what they can do, and then reload from there with cheap young contracts next season. And at this point, I don't think there ever will be an all-in year with Hein Bloom. I think he's cheap. I don't think he makes the best decisions for a big league, big market ball club. I think he would be the best general manager that a team like Texas 
or Cincinnati has seen in a long time. Pittsburgh, maybe. A team that doesn't want to spend money is okay, missing the playoffs six out of seven years. And uh, that's not what I want for my ball club. I am embarrassed by this team. Night in and night out, I spent three and a half hours watching this team, feeling upset. They ruined my mood on a daily basis because of Heimblum. And I am still that sucker. I've been to 12 games so far this year. I'm going to go to another 20. And I'm going to hate myself for it, for giving John Henry the money. And I'm still going to do it. Well, Charlie, so when when should the all-in year be? If you don't do it before 2024, it's going to be a whole busted up and rebuild it all back up again. If you don't get it done within the next two years where you try and do something Dave Dombrowski-esque where you add those extra pieces and you spend some money, make some moves at the deadline, it's not going to happen. And we blew our opportunity. Okay, so it's we now or never. We all agree that it should be no later than this coming year. It, Correct. If it hasn't happened. Okay, so here's my problem with not signing Devers or Bogarts. If you, if you don't sign one of the two, what you're saying is you're still multiple years away. What you're saying is you are waiting for Nick York. You are waiting for potentially Marcelo Meyer and perhaps one other prospect. And that's unacceptable. There needs to be some urgency. And an investment in a homegrown player, such as a guy like Devers, will go a long way in this clubhouse. That will tell Nick York, that'll tell Marcelo Meyer that if if I work my ass off, they might invest in me. And ideally, maybe one of those guys will get a Wander Franco contract, you know, early on. I think Nick York could be the the best prospect we have in the next handful of years, potentially maybe even better than Meyer. I mean, he's just been extremely robust as he's worked his way up. But let's go ahead and just dive into this uh, Atlanta uh, Braves series. It's kind of uh, – it's one of those wonky, which is my favorite word if the audience hasn't – picked up on that um it's one of those home and home we've got two games uh let's see in atlanta so they're they're traveling there now i think later this month the braves come to fenway for two games so that's typically how a a national league matchup works you know it's two and two so matchup number one it's a good one. Uh, this is Tuesday. Both games are primetime. That's nice. So Tuesday, 720 in Atlanta, Garrett Whitlock versus Kyle Wright. Charlie, go ahead. Who do you like? So Garrett Whitlock should have another, you know, decent performance. I'm guessing he's probably going to go four plus five innings. He'll probably allow two to three earned runs. The problem is the Red Sox can't hit. And if the Red Sox can't hit, we're going to lose both of these games. My hope is that we salvage one and we split the series. And I'd really, really like for Garrett Whitlock to get the win. Uh, The caveat to that is that if we split and Garrett Whitlock gets the win, that leaves our second starter without a second win. And he has been pitching lights out. I think we're going to end up, I think we're going to end up uh, splitting the series, but Kyle Wright's been doing phenomenal. Uh, he's been 
able to go the distance multiple times. Each of his last appearances, um, he's he's gone seven innings. He's been great. I think it's going to be Kyle Wright and the fact that uh, Ozuna's back and uh, Acuna's back. Everybody's back for Atlanta. So I think Atlanta's going to win the first one. I think Atlanta's going to win the first one too. But uh, at this point, I think Every team we play is going to win the series. Until this Red Sox team proves me otherwise, that's going to be my default setting. This Atlanta team has not been great so far this year. They're struggling from that World Series hangover. But Ronald Acuna Jr. is back. It'll be exciting to watch, even when the Red Sox lose 8-1. to one. And um, at least we get to see a team this weekend, this week really, that enjoys playing the game of baseball because this Red Sox team right now, they're not enjoyable to watch. They clearly aren't having that much fun. And uh, at least the Braves are doing that. I have to go with the Braves in this matchup. I I still think Garrett Whitlock could potentially pitch a gem against that uh, really robust offense. Like Charlie said, Wright pitches deep into games. He's pitched at least six or more innings in all but one start. He did have a five-inning outing um, against the Padres in which he uh, gave up two runs, uh, two earned runs in that one. Uh, he did get tuned up against the Mets for three runs uh, in his last outing, uh, but that's a team that's uh, pretty robust offensively, so nothing, uh, nothing wrong with three runs over seven. So, I think the the Red Sox are going to – he's going to probably go three turns through the Red Sox rotation, and why shouldn't we expect that with how anemic we've been, especially if Bobby Dahlbeck is is getting the start and uh, Bradley's in the lineup. Uh, so as good as Nate's been pitching, I know he had a little bit of a blip against the White Sox, gave up a few runs early, but still wasn't a terrible outing. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Nate's game two. But regardless, uh, you know, Whitlock, he's probably not going seven, let's face it. Uh, he uh, he did pitch uh, close to 80 pitches in his last outing. So either way, I've got to take the Braves uh, in this one. So put me down uh, for Atlanta in game one. Uh, let's go to matchup number two. That should be Nathan Avaldi versus Ian Anderson. And Anderson, I'm just seeing it now for the first time, not off to a good start to 2022. Charlie, who do you like in that one? You're on mute, bud. Can you hear me now? Yep. Cool. Uh, I think Anderson's pretty overrated. Um, he got absolutely destroyed by Cincinnati earlier this year. And Nate Evaldi's just do. He had four quality appearances in a row. Not quality starts, quality appearances. Didn't allow a run against Baltimore. Didn't get the win. Allowed one run against Toronto. Didn't quite go the five innings. Didn't get the win there. Seven innings against Toronto the following start. Two earned runs. Didn't get the win. Allowed three earned runs against Chicago in this most recent appearance. Didn't get the win. We're not hitting for him. We're due to hit for him. He's the better pitcher between the two. If we can get three, four runs off of Anderson quick, bring in the bullpen, I think we have a chance to win this one. I'm really hoping that we do. 
I'm going to go the other way. We lose this game. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think Anderson and Avaldi are very similar as far as ability. I really like Anderson. A couple of numbers on Anderson that people are going to look to are going to be his ERA is kind of high, 4.01 at this point. But Charlie mentioned it. He got rocked in his first start against the Reds. His last three outings, five and a third, one run, three walks, five strikeouts against the Mets. That's a good team. Against Texas, two earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, three hits allowed in six innings. And against Miami, five innings, six hits, two runs, three walks, four strikeouts. He's not been lights out, but he's been better than his ERA would lead you to believe. The other piece of it is the Red Sox are 23rd in the big leagues in walks. Not just, like, we're not just not hitting. We're not walking. We're not hitting with runners in scoring position. And instead of walking three or four batters in this game, if he walks one or two, we lose this game. Because we can't hit with runners in scoring position. We can't hit with two outs. Frankly, this Red Sox team sucks. They're terrible to watch. They're not fun. They don't deserve to win. I'm, I'm feeling very like Dan Shaughnessy in, in this episode of the podcast. Miserable and angry. But the Braves are winning this series. I am going to pick a sweep as well for the Braves. Kennedy, um, excuse me, Anderson, getting my Ian's mixed up. Uh, Ian Anderson uh, did walk four guys in his last outing against the Mets. So maybe if the Red Sox are patient and perhaps do try to uh, score some walks, maybe um, maybe they can do something with Anderson. The, uh, the other thing, too, is... He doesn't pitch particularly deep in the games. He did have one six-inning uh, outing, as Job mentioned, against the Texas Rangers. Every other outing, less than uh, six. So if they're patient at the plate, they could potentially get to the bullpen uh, early, maybe face Kenley Jansen in, in the ninth inning, but hopefully not because that would mean they're probably leading. But it's just tough to to pick against the the Braves with the way this Red Sox team's been playing. So so I'll uh Job and I have it a sweep Charlie you're going to take a series split I assume. Is that what you said? Series split for Charlie. So we will wrap Split would be a win. Split would be a win for this Red Sox team. Basically. Imagine splitting a series. Oh my goodness. Basically, uh it would be. So uh, we will wrap on that. Hot Take Tuesday will be out tomorrow. I've already seen the list of those that our followers have submitted. There'll be some good ones. Nice dialogue. Uh, so check for that. Everybody have a good start to your work week. Take care. <laughs>